Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, January 16th, 2023. Today is our final podcast in the preterm birth and periviable birth series we've been doing. The final two podcasts, last week's and today's, are high-risk birth stories we recorded a few years ago about periviable birth. Last week, you heard Andrew Cromer's story about the birth of his 24-week twins. And today, you're going to hear Simi Hersko's story on the birth of her 23-week twins. Very similar situations, but completely different stories. I think we covered a lot in this series on preterm birth, and I hope you found it as interesting as I did. If you have any suggestions for future series or future topics, please feel free to send them along. Reminder, for all of you listening on Apple or Spotify, we would really appreciate it if you can go on those apps and rate us, preferably with five stars. Thanks for listening. Next Monday, we have a new guest on the podcast, Dr. Sajra Mobin, who's going to talk about tears, lacerations, and episiotomies. Have a great week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Simi, thanks for coming on the podcast. So nice to see you. Well, same here. How's everything going with you, the family, COVID? Well, I just got my shots. So. Just got your vaccine. I know. It's going to be the big ad. Simi got the vaccine. You did couples vaccines yesterday, right? That's right. It's amazing. We're already and, you know. There was some hesitation at first to do it initially. A lot of hesitation. <laughs> but, you know. With a lot of, um, what should I say? Arm twisting. <laughs> That's right. Cajoling. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Healthy convincing. Healthy convincing. Yeah. Healthy convincing. Well, good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that's done, and I'm glad. Hopefully, the COVID will be behind you. Thanks for coming on the podcast, and we've obviously known each other a long time. You've been on the podcast before that's in right. a different capacity. That was over the phone due to COVID, but now we're all vaccinated, so we're seeing each other in person. Yeah, well, um, that masks. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. And then before we were talking about. A time and the work you do in the organization, but today we're actually talking about your own story, about your own birth. We're first going to talk about your birth of uh, your twins in 2012, the pregnancy loss that you had, and then we'll go into uh, happier times in 2015. Oh yeah, <laughs> the birth of your daughter. So t- take us back to 2012. At the time that pregnancy, before you got pregnant, who is Simi Hersko? Where are you in life? How old are you? What are you doing? So I'm just a plain Jane, regular <laughs> woman trying to have a baby, um, actually a couple. Mm-hmm. We were going through infertility at that point for six years. Actually, when I became pregnant in 2012, it was a really anticipated, I wouldn't say highly anxious because I wasn't that anxious in terms of, I didn't know that that being pregnant with twins was such a, I mean, I knew it was a high risk thing, but I wasn't really, I didn't know, you know, to what extent I need to be anxious. But so this is coming after a couple of failed IVF cycles and an intense infertility diagnosis. So I was pregnant with twins. It was the second time I was pregnant with twins. The first time I was pregnant was in 2010. Or 11, I'm not really sure. We have 2010 in our records. 2010? So, yeah, okay. I guess. But you know what? It was just a phone call. We could have been then. wrong. Yeah. It was just a phone call then because yeah. I had called in to say I was pregnant. And then when I was like seven weeks pregnant, I had lost the pregnancy. And that was the time when, you know, doing IVF actually meant always transferring to embryos. Right, right. Ten years at ago, this point, yeah. it's over. They're right. only doing one. Were you working at A-Time at the time? No. No, this is no, pre- no I was just. So, yeah, yeah, I was still working uh-huh. at my regular old job, and um, actually, I was working at a job where it was uh, the environment was a little high anxiety. My boss was <laughs> borderline narcissistic. I hope he's not listening. It was a highly anxious job, but I was really doing okay, and I was actually looking forward to not needing to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And then this one day, so actually, I had been to the doctor. I had seen you. Mm-hmm. I had seen Clouser actually, mm-hmm. and they had told me that um, that my water level was a little high, and mm-hmm. they weren't sure if everything was fine. But they said I should come back two weeks later, 
And then we came back and they said everything was fine. Right. And, and that was on Friday. Yeah. How, did, how did you find our practice? I'm curious. Because normally you would send you to our practice. So who who was the you back then? Who sent me? So actually one uh, one of a very good acquaintance in your place. Right. Um, and she was like, you have to go to them. You have to go to them. And you guys were pretty popular at that point already in my community. So it was sort of like a no-brainer that I was going to go to you guys. Okay. And you said you were not so anxious about having twins. No. I imagine there must have been a lot of we excitement. We were really, really excited. Yeah. yeah. You, you said years of infertility, right? Yeah. It was five intense, intense years. Wow. What was what was, what was was that like coming into pregnancy? I mean, five years of infertility, you're trying to have kids. I mean, were your families like all over you? So again, it had been my second time that I was pregnant. Right. And coupled with the fact that we had other failed IVF cycles mm -hmm. and everything that we were going through, being pregnant was very, very exciting. It was sort of like something that I was part of already, you know, being part of a big family and everyone having mm -hmm. kids. And finally, I was there too. And everyone in my family knew that we were pregnant, that I was having twins. So they all knew you were having twins. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was very funny because there was the bugaboo stroller hat was a fairly new thing and they didn't have a double stroller. Yet. And I remember my husband saying, I'm going to call up the company and see if they can make a twin stroller for us. <laughs> it wasn't an identical twin pregnancy. So mm -hmm. it was fairly easier than a regular mm -hmm. twin pregnancy, but it was twin. So, right. And it was a boy and a girl, and we were really, really excited. And I knew that we had no embryos left. So this was going to be our, you know, this was, right. we weren't going to drink this. This was going to be something. So then when we came in and you guys said that everything was fine, like all the anxiety that I did have, you know, sort of like melted away and we were good. We were really excited. So on Friday, you guys had said that everything was fine. And then on Monday... I went to work and it was it was a hard day. And I just remember calling my husband and saying, come pick me up. I'm not feeling so well. So he came to pick me up and I went home and I took a shower and I went back to work. In hindsight, I think I was leaking. Mm. That night, suddenly I was, I started having like this weird feeling. I wasn't sure it was contractions because I didn't really have contractions mm -hmm. to know what it was. I was 23 weeks then. I remember calling up my sister and I was like, I'm not feeling so well. And she was like, what's going on? I said, I don't know. I think I think my water broke. She's like, why do you think your water broke? I was like, I don't know. Involuntarily something happened. It's, it's not, I didn't do anything, but right. I think something is wrong. And she was like, okay, you know what, let's time, let's time the contractions. Let's see if it's consistent. And then I was having contractions like five minutes apart and we had timed it. And then she was like, you know what, I think let's call the doctor. Let's see what they say. So I called in and I was waiting for the service to have a doctor call me back. And then I was having consistent contractions. I called my husband up and I was like, you have to come home. I think we're, we have to go to the hospital. Right. How long had it been since you... In retrospect, you think your water broke between then and when you started going into must labor. Have been, well, my water definitely broke at right. like, I probably, it was probably like nine o'clock at night. But you know what? When your water breaks and you don't really know what your water breaking is like because you never had a yeah. baby, you're like, did I pay my... Yeah. Is that... I don't know. Right. So then when the doctor called back, he was like, you know what? Plus you weren't I, expecting it to happen. No. Right. You no, just, yeah. not at all. It was not expected. It was right. not even something I knew that I had to be afraid for. Right. In hindsight, yeah. So Sam Bender was actually there. He was on call and he said, you know what? Come over. Let's see what's going on. And throughout the time in the car, I was like, no, I am going to be such a fool. I am so embarrassed. But then I was having contractions consistently. So I was like, I think, I think I don't, I don't know. I don't think I'll need to be embarrassed. So then we came into the hospital and he took a test. I'm not really sure what yeah. it is. I guess a swap to check yeah. whether or not it's the amniotic fluid and i don't remember how much time had passed because it's a little bit of a blur mm -hmm. but he came back and he said yeah you would have broke and i was like okay so what does that mean he's like um that means that you are gonna have to stay in the hospital until either we're gonna try to stop the contractions and see you know what's going on or you know hopefully you'll be able to pull through and we'll see what how it's gonna work out 
At that point, I still don't think we realized what situation we were in because we did not anticipate the babies coming. We really didn't. It wasn't even something that we discussed. Like, it was sort of like, okay, you know, we're going to... So I called my mom. She was in Florida. And um, she was, like, you know, trying to figure out how to come back. At that point, they put me onto magnesium, which is the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. And I guess some other concoction of stuff to try to keep the labor from coming. Yeah, I mean it's a it's it's usually magnesium and there's steroids and steroids. Yeah, yeah we definitely got the and antibiotics and, and potentially right, something for contractions. And it, at the time, I'm just trying to get a sense of you know you're coming in, you're 23 ish weeks. It's a very difficult situation, obviously. But you're saying that you didn't you didn't grasp exactly what was happening ever, which is normal. That happens a lot. It's a very it's a whirlwind. There's so much happening at once. There's so many so many things to understand, to learn, to listen. And people start throwing numbers and figures and facts at you. How long did it take from when you got to the hospital till you sort of realized, oh, here's the situation. Here's the decisions we need to make. Here's what the possibilities are. Was it hours or was it days? Well, the decisions that we were going to make were actually only done once we had to make the decisions. Right. We were sort of in fight or flight mode. It was sort of like as a couple, we were really scared. Because this pro the prospect of, of imagining that this was going to end in not a good way was not even something, maybe we were in denial. We were also young, not very young, but young. I don't even remember discussing what we were going to do if the worst case scenario was going to happen. Right. It was sort of like, okay, you know, we're going to, let's see what the doctors can do. We're definitely going to pull through. And, you know, everyone in the family started telling us stories about people that they're they know someone that their water leaked and everything was fine and the water came back to normal. And well, you know, uh, at that point I wasn't so familiar and I didn't really know the stories that people are telling because some, when your water leaks, it can replenish, but when your water breaks, it usually doesn't replenish. Right. So being on magnesium took up two days of my life and I was really, I was not there. I was sleeping a lot and I wasn't, uh, I was really not there. By two days later, I was up and about and I was feeling much better. Some of my friends started coming to visit me and we were like, yeah, you know what? We're in it for the long haul. And my friend came and she was hanging posters on the walls, you know, to make the situation lighter. My husband was really tired. So he would go to sleep and some of my brothers would come to sleep with me so that I shouldn't be there alone. But I don't remember thinking this was going to be the end. I remember thinking we're going to pull through this. And Right. So you were, you were pretty hopeful at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I was naive. No, I mean, listen, people, when you're in a situation like that, some people feel hopeful. Some people, some people feel dreadful. Some people switches off every day or every minute or every hour. Sometimes it depends who walks in the room. That's right. You know, you have a you could have a very optimistic doctor or nurse or a very pessimistic doctor or nurse, and it's just that's right. It's one of these things. It's it it goes back and forth a lot in those situations. Right. In general, though, as 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 a couple, both of us are more optimistic people. Mm -hmm. So even when we found that our infertility diagnosis, which was pretty bleak. We were really optimistic, even though at one point we were not sure that we would be able to have kids. We're pretty good like that. Like I would say we were we were really we were really good about it and we were really, you know, optimistic and positive. So when this happened, this did this didn't break us. It was sort of like, okay, you know what? Something happened. You know, we've been through the Gamut until then. So we were gonna make this through too. It wasn't something that, you know, was gonna break us or or something that was going to break me, or it was, it was definitely, I guess it was also part of the way we took things in life. So the fact that it happened, again, maybe it was naivety, maybe it was positivity in a naive way, but right. we were, we were okay. We knew that we were going to make it through. If we made things through on Tony, we were going to make this through. So it didn't, it didn't really dawn on you that you, that the kids might not survive. It just, I mean, no, no, yeah. I didn't. No, we didn't think about it that way. And then on Friday, um, Dr. Silverstein came by and I have never seen such a straight face in my life. He's usually, you know, yeah. the rah rah guy. <laughs> and he's sitting down on my bed and he's very serious. And I was like, like scared. Like it was an interesting thing for me to see him being so serious. And he was telling us, you know, 
what kind of, you know, what's going to happen if the babies are born and we'll never be able to have a baby naturally. It's going to have to be with C-section. I was like, who cares? Like C-section, not C-section, you know, as long as we're going to have healthy kids, it's not going to, you know, C-section is just going to be another hurdle. It's going to be fine. But then on Friday, I started noticing that, you know, some things were weird. And by Friday night, you came in to yeah. the picture. You were there. And I guess I went into labor again at that point. I yeah. think I started having the infection then. Yeah. You were taking care of me all night. It was a lot of back and forth. But at that point, we still didn't think. I knew that, you know, that my labor was back. And but my husband was, he was, he was drinking and he was having a great time. He was eating. And um, again, we were, it was sort of like, I, I think it was just sort of like, okay, you know what? Let's see what we're going to do, how we're going to, you know, make this through this night. But then once the night was over, I was feeling better. They took me back to my room. Mm-hmm. And then I started having contractions every five minutes. And um, it was probably on Saturday, like three, four o'clock that I was taking downstairs to LMD again. Mm-hmm. And then from there on on, it was, yeah. That was the beginning of the end. It's very hard in that situation, obviously, you know, for you guys, but also, you know, for the doctors, for the nurses, for the pediatricians, you know, there's the reality of the situation that we know. The reality of the situation that you're, you're 23 weeks pregnant with twins, your water's broken, you could deliver at any moment, and you want to be hopeful, you want to be optimistic, but you also want to be realistic and make sure people understand sort of what the situation is. And it's a very tough balance because you don't want to give people false hope. But you also don't want to be such a downer because things could go well. It's not like it's automatically going to go bad. And so it's a very tough balance and everyone's in a different place on a different day and sort of where their head is. At and that point, yeah. I was not in a good place. Anymore. Yeah. Well, at the end, it's it's a very tough situation. And to try to sort of work through that. And, you know, so it was really that afternoon when it became clear to you that this is not heading in the right direction. Um, well, I was consistently contracting. You guys yeah. were trying to stop it. It wasn't working. I was really not feeling well. I remember thinking to myself, I wish I can just start all over again. And and then I was like, no, but I can't start all over again. There's two babies there. The truth is I was a little worried about the baby whose water broke because you guys had told us that, you know, without water, the baby had a very small chance of surviving, but we were hoping that the other baby would be fine. I guess we were hoping for a miracle. But in the back of my mind, I was worried about having a sick baby, knowing that not having water, you know, for at least a week it was almost right. a week at that point. I mean, it's more so that that baby is more likely to be infected and, you know, they, they can... That baby didn't end up looking so good either. It's also something, why did the water break? And sometimes there's a problem from the beginning, which caused it. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns at that point. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about now, because I mean, listen, we we spoke then 10 years ago. It was a different conversation, but- It's 10 years? uh, Almost. It's uh, it's nine, nine plus. When someone's in that situation, right, you're 23 plus weeks and you're in labor, right? There's, There's basically two directions that can go. One direction is this is going to be a very premature birth, in which case we're going to, you know, give you all the medicines we can, do a C-section if necessary, resuscitate the babies, intubate them, give them all the stuff. And the outlook for them is it's not zero, but it's bad, right? So they're, they're very likely not to survive. And if they survive, they're very likely to be sick, right? That's one way to go. And the other way to go is this is a pregnancy loss. This is a miscarriage. And there isn't like uh, a hard line between one and the other. Clearly, if you're 16 weeks, it's a miscarriage. And clearly, if you're, you know, 30 weeks, it's a preterm birth. And But as you start getting towards the middle of those two, it's it's hard. And a lot of it is based on sort of what's the prognosis and what are the parents' thoughts on this. And ultimately, you had to make that decision about what are we doing, right? Are we? Am I doing a C-section of these twins? And are we having the pediatricians come resuscitate them? Or are we, you know, turning down the lights and starting like a grieving and mourning process for losing the pregnancy. Do you remember having to make that decision at the time? Yes. Yeah. So very much so. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. How how that was for, for, I mean, I remember it on my end. I'm just curious. What was it like on your end? 
so thankfully I find myself really lucky and I, and the more exposed I am to people who have to make that decision, I realized that we were really lucky that as a couple, our decision was unanimous. It wasn't, he wanted something different than me or that he felt different than me or vice versa. We were both really concerned about raising you know, once the pediatrician started coming in and you started coming in and telling us what the prognosis is going to be for twins that are born at 23 weeks and five days, we didn't feel, so besides for the fact that, yeah, we had to make the decision. So yeah, we, we, you know, we discussed it with our rabbi and he basically said, and he was having this conversation with for like at least 20 something minutes, you guys were going back and forth. And then ultimately he came back and said, the decision is yours. You can do whatever you want. And my husband was like, well, were you expecting him to say that? Or were you expecting him to tell you what to do? No, I think well, my husband was like, what would you do? Right. And he was like, I wouldn't. And then I think it was relief for us because we were really scared about having 23 week twins after everything we'd gone through to have them. And to raise two special needs kids, it was very scary for us to think about it. And as much as we wanted the babies and as much as we wanted to have a family and, you know, be part of everything that everyone is part of when they have kids, the prospect of raising two special needs kids was very terrifying for us. So when he said, I wouldn't, it was sort of like for us, it was like, okay, you know what? We're not crazy. Like, we're, right. not, we're not crazy that we don't feel ready to do that. But on the other hand, it was very scary for us to let go and just let go of two babies that we waited for so long. And it was an easy decision for us, but it was a very, very tough and emotional decision. And again, I'm very thankful that we were both on the same page because I know that a lot of couples do sometimes have, you know... The questions of, you know, I do or I do want, I don't feel like it could. Some people feel like they can do it, like they can't just let go. It's a way of coping. But for us to think that we would have to raise two special needs kids, that was, it was terrifying for us. So, and the pediatricians were going back and forth and telling us what it would be like and, and you too. So it was, it was sort of like a decision that we I wouldn't say we were happy. We were relieved that there was the choice of saying, you guys don't have to do this. Right. Did you, were you relying on anybody else for advice and support besides each other? And of course, the doctors and your rabbi did like any family or friends that you no. asked them? You said this is, we're keeping no. this in house. No, okay. no. My parents are actually amazing. They're really, really respectful for our decisions. They will never, ever make a decision for us. They'll support us and, you know, but when it came to this, there was no, it was basically the doctors. Obviously, we relied 100% on you guys. And the rabbi that told us that, you yeah. know what, 23 and a half weeks is a very gray line. It's yeah, it's it's one of the hardest things we, in, in our field, what we do. It's, it's one of the most difficult situations. I don't mean difficult because we don't know. It's difficult because there, there just isn't a right answer. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of thought in each couple feels very differently about this. I mean, listen, tw 20 years ago, no one would even had an option to resuscitate 23-week twins because the survival, they would have said zero. So there's not even right. a thing. But you can resuscitate them. And everyone has a story of right. someone knows someone who has a baby who's born 23 weeks and is either perfectly fine amazing. Or, 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 or okay They're amazing. Or, 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 you know, basically fine. But there's also all the people who had 23-week twins who they were in the NICU for three months and then didn't survive or they didn't survive right away, or they're born and they're very, very sick. And you don't hear, hear all those stories. And it's it's very hard. And you give people numbers and percentages, but that's not it's not what people need, right? You know, percentages no. are not really, I mean, they're helpful to a degree, but it doesn't give people an answer. It's, it's essentially, it's, it's a gut decision by the parents of which way are we going here. And people feel very differently. The thing is also that I was exposed to, uh, I had a brother-in-law that worked in, in a special needs school. And mm -hmm. um, and he did have a lot of kids there that were born severely early, not 23 weeks, mm -hmm. but 24, 25. Right. And it's an early childhood center, so meaning to say that, you know. Yeah. And I was exposed to what these kids were going through. And 
And as and again, as much as we wanted these babies, knowing that we would, you know, re- that resuscitating them, let's say if they were resuscitated, everything did end up, you know, and they would be able to get out of the hospital and they would be quote unquote fine, we, we didn't feel ready to do that. So after the decision is made, what do you remember about the birth itself, the delivery? It's a weird thing to say, but it was a very tranquil environment. Um, maybe also because knowing, you know, the hospital staff knowing that that this was going to happen, there were a lot of high emotions. It was a very sensitive and very, let's say, you know, emotionally draining time but it was also very calm and and the environment and the room was it was sensitively calm but chaotic Mm -hmm. i remember you being a little nervous you know i was in labor but you guys weren't like weren't expecting that i was going to give birth so quickly and then suddenly i was like i i think i need to push and there were tons of things it was a tiny room i think the room was like as small as yeah this. it's the smallest room they have in the labor mm-hmm. i remember that vividly and it's, you it's pushed like a, that couch out of there yeah i remember thinking i don't know how to push i i never pushed the baby out how am i gonna know what to do but you know what i guess it's a natural instinct and um I remember pushing baby A out, and then I was like, wow, I'm not done yet. I still need to push another baby out. It was a very sad, a really, really sad time for both my husband and I. You know, as as a doctor, tell me what you saw. I mean, it's it's horrible. I mean, it is, we, we, we try to keep it, as you said, peaceful, it was tranquil, it. quiet. It's part of the reason that that, that decision about what we're doing changes everything, right? If it's a situation where we're planning on resuscitating doing these things, you know, we're going to deliver in an operating room, there's going to be 55 people on standby, it's going to be a whole team, the lights are going to be bright, it's a different environment. But if it's if it's a pregnancy loss, you know, you're going through one of the most horrible events of your life. Physically, we, you're going to be okay. I mean, it, things right. can go wrong and we watch them, but basically it, it's an emotional thing. So we yeah. try to keep your pain as little as possible. We try to, you know, if people need something to calm them, like, you know, like a Valium type, that's fine. You know, we try to keep the lights dim. We try to be quiet. We try not to keep coming in out of the room. And during the delivery, we, you know, it's not like rah, rah, push, push. It's very gentle and calm. And, you know, the same thing when the babies are born, we, you know, we just try to keep things quiet, you know, ask you, like, would you like to hold the babies? Would you like to see the baby? You know, those types of things, just to keep it as, you know, because your memories are going to be horrible, right? It's just, it's a horrible event. But for people so that's the amazing thing that the memories are now right but it's it's a horrible event but when the loss like the loss is horrible right but if during the loss it's it's peaceful first i mean people have that when when someone elderly when they pass away there's a difference between someone dying in something that's like violent and aggressive and horrible versus sort of like they say it was very peaceful you know very tranquil tranquil and, and the memories of the event aren't horrible it's horrible that someone died but the event itself actually gives people some peace that it happened right. in a way that was you know spiritual peaceful they just feel right. like there wasn't suffering yeah, it was spiritual yeah it was. and so we it's sort of the same way with these births and they're always you know we we want the memory to be something of the event to not be something that evokes horror what happened is horrible but the event people should feel like you know i said goodbye in a way that was right. meaningful and that wasn't stressful and so we try but it's it's obviously it's very different for everybody but i think that also i remember that after i gave birth i was in touch with someone who also was twins and she was like 21 weeks she was at a doctor who was not very nice and she ended up delivering the babies alone because no one was in the room and she was very very traumatized and i remember thinking i'm lucky that i'm not traumatized and then and then her doctor came in and he was like, okay, I guess you'll just have to try again next time. She was like, what am I, a candy machine? Like, okay, let's try again. And I remember she was really, really traumatized and 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 I was really counting my blessings that the birth was not traumatizing. It was very sad. It was very emotional. It was very, it was sad, but it was not traumatizing. That's for sure not. So I was really, we were really lucky to have you know, been under the care of really, of a really good practice. And 
nice understanding doctors and i think that makes a world of a difference yeah i mean the hospitals also they're 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 very good at time they continue to get better there's so like the nurses understand the social workers understand. yeah like, they just have a bet they have an understanding and this is unfortunately this happens and unfortunately everyone there has experience with this and sort of has a sense of you know what's appropriate and how to you know try to handle these things and I so, do remember actually two of the nurses who had been at my admitting mm-hmm. the week before, then they found out that I lost mm-hmm. the twins and they came to me. They were actually crying. They came over to me afterwards. Mm-hmm. They came into the room and they were and they were saying they were so sorry, but I remember being um really impressed that they actually came to say they were you know, like that they really, really felt along with us. Mm-hmm. They just they weren't even you know, assigned to me at that point because I was on a different floor. Yeah. Yeah. They're Listen, they're very caring people. And obviously, you know, nine out of 10 or 99 out of 100 times, the birth is great. Everyone's happy. It's a wonderful choice, but it's not 100% of the time. And so this happens and it it's painful to the staff also. No one wants to see anyone suffer and go through right. a loss. And it's it's horrible. I mean, everyone's, everyone's humans. Everyone's people there. And so it's very difficult. Did you choose, you You had the babies, a burial for them? Did you give them names? It was way too painful for us mm-hmm. to even think about naming them. We did have the names that we were going to name them with, but at that point we were mm-hmm. like, no, we're not going to use those. We had a very good friend that my husband called and he took care of the burial for us. At that point, we were we were surviving. We were mm-hmm. just happy that someone was taking care of it, and he had told us that if we want, you know, if we want to, he can choose the name for us. So it was just easier for us at that point because the whole prospect of of connecting to the babies, we didn't want to connect in a way we, we wouldn't be able to disconnect. So not a hundred percent. I I can't say that we weren't connected to the babies, but meaning to say that. Choosing the names and 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 being involved in the whole burial, knowing that we didn't have to be a hundred percent involved in it, made it a little easier for us. Because at that point, we were very very shattered. It was it was it was a it was a hard time for us. It was it was easier knowing that someone was taking care of it for us. Yeah. At this point, I'm the one helping people. Yeah. With the burials, times have changed. I've become a little less. I wouldn't say sensitive, but yeah, it's sort of like something that I do and being at one side of the coin and being at the other side of the coin is just so different. Yeah. And different people feel differently. There are yeah. some couples who are, you know, they name the babies, they're, they list them as part of their families and someone yeah. says, how many children do you have? And they, they include the pregnancies that they lost and, right. and other people do not feel comfortable with that. It's, right. it's a different way of viewing their family. And Again, it's not like one is better than the other one's right, one's wrong. It's it's what helps people just, Survive. you know, yeah, get through this world with all the bad things that happen to us. And for some, it brings them more comfort to keep those babies right. in their memory and in their right. family. And for others, it's the opposite. And it's it's a hard decision. And, and no one's prepared to make that decision. How would no. you ever, you know, how could you ever prepare for something like that? What, what was your recovery like afterwards? I don't mean physical. I mean, you know, in, in general, just coming home. So I actually went to my parents. Mm-hmm. Even though I live right on top of my parents, mm-hmm. going home was way too painful for us. I mm-hmm. couldn't bear to be in the room where I had just been and I was pregnant. I didn't want to go up to my house for at least a week. Like I didn't, I remember I wasn't feeling well. I had to come into the office. Mm-hmm. And I had to go up to the apartment to get dressed. And I remember just walking in and going straight to my room with my eyes closed. I didn't want to be in the room. It was very, very painful for us. We had started buying stuff. There was a whole bag of baby clothing that had to be returned. So again, I got myself very, very lucky that we have very, very supportive parents from both sides, my husband's side and my parents. They were very, very supportive. And I remember my dad traveled like a half hour away from where we live to go buy my favorite cookies because he really wanted me to eat because I was not eating and not drinking. And I remember them being very scared that I was becoming anorexic because <laughs> I couldn't eat and I couldn't drink. But, and I remember my husband coming by to you guys on Friday. Mm-hmm. 
and he put some stuff and he was mentioning that I wasn't eating. You guys were like, no, you don't have to worry. She's going to, it's going to come back eventually. There was a lot of grieving. My sister almost came over. They were sitting with us and my sisters, I remember my sister had one of her sister almost had a baby. She was going to go to Montreal and for the bris and she stayed behind with me and it was a heavy grieving process. There was a lot of crying involved just out of the blue. And I couldn't, I remember not being able to sleep at night. And then I started Googling what the chances are of 23 workers surviving. And I started seeing all this controversial stuff and people were saying yes. And people were saying no. And people were saying, oh, the babies, you know, I had 23 week twins and they're doing amazing. And just fact that they have you know one is blind and the other one has cerebral palsy and but they're perfectly fine and I remember feeling very confused I remember feeling not guilty but sort of like should we have thought about it a little more or but then I was like no I, I mean having a child that's blind and another child that has cerebral palsy it would it would I, we wouldn't be able to do that but I think I remember you telling me at the postpartum visit that you're going to get over it, but you're never going to forget it. And those are such true words because you never forget them. I mean, you go from thinking about it every minute of the day to only every five minutes of the day. Then you go to thinking only five times a day. It eventually becomes easier. It's sort of like you have a boulder rack on your heart. And then with every passing day one tiny little stone of the rock falls off and it just becomes easier and easier but that rock is always there we can't ever forget about them ever it's sort of like something that we know it's part of us but it's not so heavy anymore it doesn't feel like it hurts but that takes a lot of time how much time did it take would you say what would we, we take months years until you again until you sort of felt Okay, like okay, yeah, was like, when we had our yeah. our baby. Yeah, I mean that's that's years. I mean you're talking years. Yes. It's it's a long, long time, which is normal. It's supposed yeah. to be a long, long time when you lose something yeah. that that precious. So I wouldn't say that my daughter replaced it. She no. didn't, but it definitely gave us something else to think about. And there was life, and 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 suddenly, you know, there was there was a tangible baby. But I would say the first three months are really, really tough. There's a lot. There's a lot of crying and a lot of being very emotionally drained. And then eventually it just becomes, it becomes easier. It becomes less painful. It just hurts. Your heart actually hurts less. It just feels lighter. Yeah. We, we had um, a woman on the podcast at a, a similar loss and she said, it's, it's about, it's not about getting over it or getting past it. It's about getting through it. It's right, just, you that's have true. to just get through through the experience because it's yeah. there's no choice. You have to get through it, but it's it's more that because it's never really be it's never really you know gone. No, it's just you have to go forward through it. In this process afterwards, at what point did you decide I want to try again? Was it you want to try again like after the three months, or was it like I, I need a year or two to recover? So for us, it was a little different because. Right, you had to start over. We with that, yeah. weren't even sure we would be able to have more kids. Right. Because our infertility diagnosis was was intense. We had, this was our second time we had done a fresh cycle. There were no embryos left. And we we weren't sure we would be able to try again. Not because we couldn't, but because of the diagnosis. So that was also that was also a very intense part of why it was it was hard i would say probably like six to eight months later we started discussing you know maybe we should see if mm -hmm. we could or we couldn't but at the end i think we started like a year later and you ultimately i mean you delivered three years later right so i guess you started we had year, tried. took a year yeah we had tried before yeah. we had failed another ivf cycle until we had my daughter what was that pregnancy like with your daughter so you're carrying one Surreal. baby when you were there you're pregnant obviously there's a, a mixture of terror and joy right was it more joy than terrified. terror all right no because I it was wasn't twins because you're like this isn't going to happen again 
So I remember asking, like you telling us that, you know, it was probably the twins. And if you become pregnant with twins again, we're going to have to take one out. And I remember feeling very anxious about it, about, you know, the fact that, you know, what are we going to do if we do become pregnant? Because I still have a fear that. I'm not sure if that's exactly what I said, but whatever. That's fine. We don't. <laughs> I still. <laughs> that's your I memory still of it. Feeling, that's okay. <laughs> I still remember. I'm, I, I, right. I, every, every time we try again, it's like, okay, I'm for sure becoming pregnant with twins. And it's going to be identical. What are we going to do? <laughs> I, mean, I remember that, you know, it was a discussion of it was probably the twins, yeah. the twins factor. And I remember feeling a little upset at my body. I remember thinking I'm healthy. I work out. I eat healthy. And you walk on the street and you see twins, literally a dime a dozen. Right. Like you- It's luck. It's not the body. Some it's just it's luck. Some some twins, you know, settle into a uterus nicely and others don't yes. and it's it's also pregnancy specific you could have someone right. with twins and it's a disaster and then the next pregnancy have twins and it's fine it's not it's usually not that there's something wrong with the woman or her uterus it's i mean there could be situations like that but right. it, that's the exception it's usually it's usually luck i mean why does why do people lose one baby right it doesn't mean there's that, anything right. wrong right it doesn't do something wrong with them i mean it's it's like happens and it's horrible but usually it's it's usually bad luck Occasionally, we find things that need to be corrected or this or that, but that's really the exception. But being that my cervix was fine, my cervix was yeah. Closed. Why would someone's water break? It's like it's it's almost right. random in a sense, and I mean it's it sucks. I mean it happens horrible, but it's it's literally it's almost random in the situation. Probably until I was like twenty three, I kept on thinking, okay, let me just be past twenty three weeks, and then right. when I was past twenty three, it was like I was you're so stupid. Why do you want to be past twenty three weeks? You want to be past thirty. <laughs> Right. Minimum. Yeah. But so I was, call moving the goalposts. Okay. But I was yeah. not anxious. I was running every mm-hmm. single day. I did exercise. I yeah. I, could I remember say, you were pretty good. I, mean, I was emotionally, yeah. which was, uh, was a surprise. Most people are a wreck, and you were you no. were a wreck, and you know, God no. bless, it's fantastic. And no, it was a textbook yeah. pregnancy. Textbook, and then ultimately you you delivered. It was uh 37. January, right? Thirty seven yeah. plus weeks. Yeah, I remember. I remember being shocked when my border broke because I was like, oh, I'm gonna have my baby overdue because mm-hmm. that's just you know i had my babies at 23 weeks last time i'm definitely being overdue so when my water broke at 37 weeks i was like what no i'm not ready i wasn't packed mm-hmm. i you know it was it was out of the blue but it was an amazing surprise mm-hmm. and then hindsight 37 weeks is perfect <laughs> um, she was six six which was beautiful she was a beautiful baby and i remember holding her and they were taking me up to the room i was i was in the wheelchair and the nurse was taking me up and i could not stop crying because i remember that the last time i was being pushed in a hospital my hands were empty and i was crying and she looks at me and she's like are you okay like are you are you happy that your baby was born like is everything okay and i was like yeah, I'm very okay. Just very, very emotional. That must have been so surreal. It you was. Know. It was such a blur. Like when I think of those two days that was when I was in the hospital, it was, I was so tired and I was so exhausted and we were drunk on emotions. I couldn't believe that I was holding her. And I, I remember keeping on thinking like, I hope nothing is going to happen to her. Like you start, you know, you start getting ahead of yourself and you start thinking, oh, but you know, there's so many other things that can still happen like SIDS and, 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 and I don't know. And I was like, I don't want our happy ending to stop. Because the baby starts crying at night and she doesn't stop. You forget about thinking about SIDS <laughs> and you start thinking, is there a fire station somewhere here? Because she is not stopping to cry. But in the beginning, I remember being really happy that she was crying all night because right. I didn't mind it. But then, yeah, that changes. <laughs> she's she's six now, right? She's six. She's the funniest, funniest kid ever. She keeps asking us when we're gonna have another baby, and um, she she it's funny that she starts noticing and she starts saying, but like one of my sisters just had a baby and she was like. She had, but her baby is still so tiny. Like, how did she have another baby? Like, but um, she's really good. She's really good about it. And she knows that when the time is going to come, we're going to have, we never told her about the twins yet. You, I assume you plan to at some point. We yeah. will. I mean, we have pictures of the baby. Plus, once she gets an iPhone, she'll hear this podcast. Yes. So, so it's got to be before you give her a phone. <laughs> so she'll, she'll, she'll Google you. She'll find you. 
we do plan on telling, but I think she's still very young. She's yeah, still sick. It's hard she's, to process I don't think that. She's emotionally ready to hear, you know, and I didn't want her to live. We didn't want her to live in the shadow of the babies right. that, right. you know, she's, repl- I wouldn't say replacing, but. Yeah, I understand. Do, do you tell in your, in your line of work, right? Because you work with women with pregnancy loss and fertility issues. Do you tell them your story? Is that part of it? Or do you leave it out? I mean, how often does it come up? Um, normally, I don't really self-disclose mm-hmm. unless it is someone that um, that I was specifically assigned to, mm-hmm. meaning to say that she's going through a hard time and, you know, whatever, or in specific situations where I will connect with the patient in a different way or because she's going through the same thing and whatever, then I will talk about it and I will, you know, discuss it with them. But I find, you know, that every person, as you say, accepts things differently and everyone, you know, has their own way of overcoming things. So let's say even when I discuss it with my friends, like sometimes they'll they'll be so surprised that there's this option that you can choose to say we're not resuscitating or how we came to the decision or why we would come to the decision that we would do that. Once you're in this situation, it's a little different. But then again, also people who are in the same situation as me, they will have different views and they will have different ways of coping. And, you know, sometimes I speak to people and they know they're pregnant with a baby that's sick and it's not going to survive and they don't care. They want to go through the entire pregnancy and they want to feel all the feelings or even very often we have this where we know that, you know, that we're helping a couple that's pregnant with a baby that's not going to survive. And the question of whether or not they should do termination. Right. Or whether or not they should do a DNC and do a birth. Right. It's, it's a very hard decision for people to make. I usually do try to guide them according to how I feel that they, you know, they look. Oh, they, the feelings that they're giving me that. Were they? Right. Yeah. Like if someone is highly emotional and i know that a birth is really going to disturb her or or it's going to make it harder then i will help them i i don't ever push anyone to make decisions right. i just help them decide um and i tell them you know there's the per, you know there's the cons of this and there's the pros of that and what do you think you yeah. do you think that you'll be able to withstand a a a labor and delivery of a baby that you will not be able to that the babies will die or the baby will die and will you be able to disconnect will you be able to and also about holding the baby and there's so many decisions that people have to make with this in such a situation it's tough did did your experience what happened is that what led you to work with a time that's that was sort of the push for you how did that happen so it was very funny. So after I gave birth, I was like, I'm not going back to that job. I can't, I can't handle it. I didn't, I was the narcissist happy. job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was happy that, you know, I was happy that I wouldn't have to go back. I was, you know, I wasn't going to go back there, even though he really wanted me to come back and he kept calling and I was like, no, I'm not going back. So then I didn't work for a couple of months and then my husband opened up a business and I started working for him and I was helping. And then I was like, okay, I'm hiring you a secretary. And I am getting out of here. And then I remember having an event and one of them came over to me. She was like, Simi, do you want to work for us? And I remember thinking, yeah, I do want to work for you. I think that would be amazing. Like, but I don't have, you know, I I don't have the experience. I do. I, so in hindsight, I did have a lot of experience in infertility based on our diagnosis and now pregnancy also. I wasn't sure what the job would entail and whatever, but I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to work for you guys. Does your experience color sort of how you advise people, not in terms of what they should do, but for example, like, I know you talked about like, like people with twins, you're like, go to high risk practice. Is it, is it because yes. it would happen to you in that Absolutely. sense? Yes. Yeah, I was, yes. I, yes. I figured that might be the case. You tend to be a little more <laughs> aggressive. Hey, hey, we're, we appreciate that. But, uh, but you know what? I, I just heard a story of someone who had triplets is not using a high risk practice. And the person who was telling me the story, she was, she was going through a pregnancy where I told her to mm. go to you guys. In the end, her pregnancy ended up not being that high risk, but she was happy that she was with you guys. And she, and she was like, she didn't use a high risk doctor. And I was like, you know, uh, <laughs> not for everyone. All right. <laughs> what, what, what made you decide to come in today? To tell your story. I'm curious because you volunteered. You said, let's do it. I think that hearing 
other people's stories sometimes will help people make decisions. It will also make people feel that they're not alone because I remember feeling very alone at that point. I didn't think there were more people that I didn't think I was the only one in the world that was going through that. But the more I read, the more I saw that people, you know, were having the situation. But I want people to know that they're not alone and that there's help out there. And something like this will not always break you. It can sometimes really make a person stronger. I definitely think that, you know, both me and my husband and as a couple, we did become stronger and and it did definitely, it did not break us. It only made us be better people and more understanding. And we now have experience in something that that made us become the people that we are today. Simi, thank you so much for coming in and coming on the podcast to tell your story. It's it's a very difficult story, but it's a very powerful one and important one. Uh, obviously, I was a part of it. I recall it in that sense, but it's clearly different, you know, coming from you uh, and how much it impacted you in your life and how it led you to do all the amazing things you're doing today also and helping so many people who may be go, going through the same or similar or a different experience, but also difficult and how important what you're doing now is and how this is all a part of you. That story, you know, made you who you are today Yes, in that sense. Yes, I did. It's hard to imagine what Simi went through with the loss of her twins. To have to decide whether to try to save your babies or let them go is beyond what most of us will ever have to think about. And hearing Simi talk about how they approached that horrific decision was very powerful. I'm so grateful that Simi was able and willing to tell her story on the podcast. One thing that struck me when talking to Simi was the idea that someone could have a birth with such a horrible outcome, yet still not consider the birth itself traumatic. And we've seen the exact opposite as well in this podcast. Women who had good outcomes, but had traumatic births. This is one of the big lessons I've learned from this podcast, that the memory and emotions of the experience of the birth is sometimes not related to the outcome itself. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day and have a great weekend. See you Monday on the Healthful Woman Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.